me if you brought your Bibles, and I hope that you have. Turn with me to the book of Matthew. Uh, Matthew chapter 1 is where I would like to begin at uh, this morning. Matthew chapter 1. I'll give you just a moment to find Matthew chapter 1 right there at the beginning of the New Testament. I believe that we will start at verse 18 and we will read through the remainder of the chapter. Matthew chapter 1 beginning at verse 18 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she <clears throat> shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel which being interpreted is God with us then Joseph being raised from sleep did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus will you pray with me heavenly father we just humbly come before you one more time thanking you for the good day and the many blessings. And Lord, we just pray, Lord, asking here this morning, Lord, continuing to invite your presence in, asking you to have your way and your will in our midst here this morning. Lord, you know the hearts of each one that is here. There's no surprises to you. There's nothing that is hidden from you. And so, Lord, uh, we just pray here this morning asking that you would just have your way and your will in our midst here this morning. Lord, that you would just move in a mighty way. God, if there's any among us that doesn't know you, if there's any that are lost and undone, if there's any that is backslidden, any that just... Uh, just let some things creep into their life, into their hearts, and into their minds that don't belong there. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you'd bring it to our attention, that you'd convict us of it. And Lord, that you wouldn't give us any peace until we'd repent of it and get it out of the way. Because the most important thing is our walk with you, our relationship with you. Nothing is more important than that. And so, Lord, I just pray here this morning, God, just have your way and your will here in our midst. God, I'm asking, uh, I need your help to preach your word here this morning. I can't do it without you. Lord, I've got nothing worth saying unless you give it to me. And so, Lord, I'm just praying here this morning, God, that you'd clear my mind of everything but your message, your words, your thoughts, and that you'd place on my tongue the very things that you'd have me to say here this morning, the things that we stand in need of. And, Lord, I pray that each one would receive it, knowing that they have heard from you, Lord, that it's come from you through my spirit to their spirit as one dying man to another. And, God, I pray, Lord, that we would have 
have ears to hear what you would say to us by your spirit, eyes to see, hearts to do, Lord God. And I pray, Lord, that we would leave here this morning different than how we come in, Lord. And so, God, I'm just asking, have your way and your will in our midst. Fill me full of your spirit, Lord. Uh, Lord, I'm praying for your holy unction here this morning, your anointing. And so, God, I'm asking, have your way and your will in the remainder of our service. And we'll be sure and give you every bit of the glory for it. We love you. We worship you. We praise your holy name. And we ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. I want to take a moment and I, wanna, I want us to think about the Christmas story for just a moment. Now, you've only heard two portions of it, two snippets of it read to you this morning. You, you, read a, you heard a portion that Brother Randy read to us from the book of Luke, and you heard a portion that I have read to us this morning from the book of Matthew. Now, uh, there is elements uh, that contribute to the Christmas story scattered throughout the rest of the scripture, but most of it having to do with Jesus' birth and early childhood is contained in Matthew's gospel and in Luke's gospel. That's the two gospels where you find the genealogies as well. And it's interesting. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because this is not what I come to preach about, but let me just quickly mention to you in case you've ever uh, not understood or had any confusion or maybe just forgot. You've got to understand Matthew's uh, account is from Joseph's perspective. You have Joseph's lineage given in Matthew. You have things and events told from Joseph's perspective. On, in Luke's account, you have Mary's perspective. You have Mary's lineage that is given there, and you have things told from Mary's perspective. You could almost see it like I've heard the analogy given before. It's like two eyeballs, right? Matthew is one, Luke is the other. It takes both to get a full picture or a fuller, a better picture to see things better. And so anyways, that is, that is where we're at. Now I want to think about for just a minute, not only the things that, I have, uh, that I've read and Randy's read this morning, but the other things that we know about the Christmas story as we, as we go through this for a minute. So think about it for just a minute. A virgin is told, right? A young lady who has never been with a man before, right? A, a young virgin is told that then this virgin is engaged to be married to a man by the name of Joseph. And she is told that she has been charged chosen to be the mother of the coming Lord. And what does she do? She submits to the will of God, even though it will cost her her reputation. Nobody else is going to believe this story. You can imagine the kind of things that they're going to think and they're going to say. And But knowing that, she knew that full and well, she still willingly submits to the will of God, even though it's going to cost her her reputation. And at that point, she, does have, she has no idea how Joseph is going to react. In the passage of Scripture that I have read this morning, Joseph willingly goes on and goes through with his marriage to Mary, even though the child she is carrying is not his child. He would have been completely within his legal rights to divorce her. In that culture, in that day and time, the way they saw engagement was a little more binding than the way that we see it, the, the, that engagement period, right? That engagement period in our culture, in our day, is something that is easily broken. 
in their day and in their culture, that was not the case. They had to go through basically the same process that you would have to go through as a divorce, to get a divorce. And so he was within his legal rights, right? When she turns up pregnant, he was within his legal rights to divorce her. And the punishment according to the law of Moses for infidelity is death, stoning. So he would have been within his legal rights uh, to divorce her, and if he wanted to take it a step farther, he could have took her to the elders, and they could have made their judgment on it, which more than likely would have resulted in her being put to death. But that's not what he did. He willingly, willingly goes through with his marriage to Mary. We have the shepherds in the field, right? They are keeping watch over their flock. And they are given, as we go, if we would go through and read further in Luke, we would see that they are given a preview of heaven's choir. They are told uh, where to find the babe that is wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And it's interesting if you read that part, and maybe later in the month we will, or I know we will, they went and they ended up being the first human messengers. Now, the angels are the first messengers of the Lord Jesus and of his birth, but the shepherds are the first human messengers of the Lord Jesus. And then later, we have the account of the wise men. That's here in the book of Matthew. They were, if you'll remember, they were supposed to report back to Herod the location of this one born king of the Jews. But the Bible tells us that they were warned in a dream, they were warned of God in a dream to not return to Herod. So what did they do? They decided to go home a different way. And then, right after that, Joseph is warned by God also in a dream. To take the young child and his mother to Egypt, to flee there, to escape from the wrath of Herod. And that's what he did. And because of that, they lived. So with just that kind of brief accounting of some of the things that I can think of, what one word comes to mind? What one word would sum up the Christmas story? Now, I know, I know, I, I hesitate to call you smart, Alex, but I know that the answer is Jesus, right? That's always, you know, we have the joke about Sunday school, you know, and the little kids in Sunday school class, the answer is always Jesus, right? That's a good bet. That's a sure bet. And, of course, that's right. The answer is Jesus. Sum up the Christmas story in one word. It is Jesus. No question, no doubt about that. But here's what I want to get at. What about one word that sums up all of the actions of everyone else involved in the Christmas story? Well, you might have a different answer than I do, but let me give you my answer. It would be the word obedience. That would be the word that I would use to sum up the actions of everyone else involved in the Christmas story. Obedience. Think about it. In each of the 
each one of these cases that I've just quickly ran through here, right? The person or the group of people who were, uh, they were told once. That's all we have in each account, each time they are told one time, they are told once. And every one of them, without exception, obeyed God the first time that they were told. I think that bears repeating. They obeyed God the first time they were told. Think about it for just a minute. What if, what if at any point any of these people involved in the, in the Christmas story here had failed to do what God had asked them to do when God asked them to do it? Have you ever thought about that before? What if Joseph, right? Well, God warns him in a dream, telling him to take the young child and his mother and flee to Egypt. What if Joseph had decided not to take his family to Egypt? Or maybe, maybe they get up in the middle of the night and go, what if Joseph just said, Mary and, and Jesus need their rest, we'll wait until in the morning. What if Joseph had said, it's been a long day, I'm tired, I'm going to sleep in, then we'll go. What if, what if Mary had decided that she was too pregnant to make that long journey to Bethlehem just to be counted in some stupid census? What if, what if the shepherds had said, we can't leave our sheep. We can't leave our sheep. This is our job. This is our duty. Or what if the wise men had actually went back and told Herod where to find the baby Jesus? They would have, in each case, let me tell you what would have happened. Not that God's plan would have, be, would have been thwarted. Not that God's plan would have been uh, you know, undone, uh, uh, you know, interrupted, or uh, overthrown. No. God's plan and God's will be completed. It's in God's perfect timing and it's going to happen. Period. Here's what would have happened if any one of these would not have obeyed and obeyed God immediately. They would have missed. Now listen to me. They would have missed their opportunity to be a part of what God was doing. God was doing something like the world had never seen or never experienced before. And they had been chosen, been given the opportunity to be a part of what God was doing. And if they had not immediately obeyed God when God spoke to them, they would have missed it. God's plan would have still been carried out. It just wouldn't have been them doing the part. They would have missed out on their opportunity to be a part of what God was doing. I don't know if you noticed as we went through this, but the Christmas story, it's filled with opportunities. Understand this. You realize this, when I'm talking about opportunities that comes your way from God, those kinds of opportunities, those are times when God is trying to bless you. 
Do you hear me? When God directs you, right? Whenever God uh, directs you, when he leads you, right? Whenever he, uh, you know, asks you to do something, do you do understand what's happening there, right? This is not the relationship of a, of, of a slave and master, right? God is not a taskmaster, right? It's, 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 it's not, you know, uh, that way at all. We think about that way. We think in, in terms of obedience, disobedience, and blessings and cursings, right? But it's not that way at all, right? You've got to understand, right, that whenever God presents that opportunity, right, whenever he tries to move you to do something, he's presenting you with an opportunity. What he's trying to do is he's trying to bless you, period. For instance, Joseph had an opportunity to do the right thing by Mary. All he had to do was, as I've already said it, it was obey God, right? And you could say that for each case. All they had to do was obey God. But let me give you the perspective from the human standpoint. All he had to do was ignore all public opinion and then go ahead and take, forget what everybody is going to be saying behind him and behind his back for the rest of his life. It wasn't like he, he stepped out and did this and then in a few weeks, a few months, or even a few years that everybody was like, oh, okay, Joseph was right. We were wrong all along. No, he went to his grave with people still murmuring and talking about him. And, and, and anyways, he had the opportunity to do right and ignore public opinion and take Mary to be his wife. And that's exactly what he did. God gave him an opportunity, right? God was trying to bless him, and Joseph took it. Joseph did what God asked him to do. Think about the wise men. I mentioned them last week. The wise men had an opportunity to worship and to give gifts to the king of kings. All they had to do was follow that star. And that's exactly what they did. Mary had the opportunity to give birth to the Savior of the world, to fulfill the prophecy, the very first prophecy from the beginning, right? From Genesis chapter 3. All she had to do was simply submit to God and say yes to the Holy Spirit. And that's what she did. The shepherds, they had the opportunity to be the very first ones to see the Christ child, to see the long-awaited Messiah. All they had to do was leave their flock and go to Bethlehem. And they did. But, now listen, the Christmas story is not full of opportunities that people obeyed God and seized. There is also, on the other hand, opportunities that was missed and that was lost. Think about the religious leaders. You, you remember how that went, right? When the wise men show up in Bethlehem saying, we're looking for the one born king of the Jews. We've seen his star in the east. Herod is, first of all, Herod is a man of extreme anger, extreme jealousy, and just to be frank, insane. And so that right there 
triggered all of those things at once. But he is cool and calculated too. And so he plays it right along and he calls the religious scholars, the ones in the know, the ones that have dedicated their life to studying the scriptures. And he consults with them. What is it these guys are talking about? What is this prophecy they're talking about? What is this one born king of the Jews? What is this star thing? Religious leaders knew what these guys were talking about. They had read the scriptures. They understood the prophecy. They understood uh, the prophecy of the Messiah, the star, and all of these things. Did you think about their reaction? At that moment, as soon as Herod come to them and shared with them, okay, here's what happened. These wise men from the east have showed up, and this is what they've said. What do you know about this? What does the scripture say about this? They've got a decision to make right there. And they've got an opportunity that God is laying in their lap. Did you ever think about that or realize that? They have got the opportunity to either cast their lot in with the wise men. I mean, they're no fools. They know what Herod is and how he is, and they knew how he's going to react. They know that his intent is not to find this one born king of the Jews and take him gifts and worship him and, and, and elevate him and, and treat him as royalty, as the king of kings. Herod had no desire to do that. Herod's desire is to snuff out this threat to his reign and to his throne. His desire is to kill These religious scholars were no fool. They knew. They had served in Herod's court way too long. And they had the choice right in that moment. They could either throw in their lot with the wise men. Think about it. If they would have done that, that would have led them to the long-awaited Messiah. Right? They had supposedly dedicated their lives to studying the very scriptures, the very words that point to him, that speak of him, that prophesy of him, that shadow, foreshadow him in every paragraph and every sentence. That's what their life had supposedly been dedicated to. But what do they do? Instead, they cast their lot with Herod. And they blew the greatest opportunity of their life. And Herod. Herod had the opportunity. Let's talk about him for a second. He had the opportunity to prepare the way for Jesus. King of kings and Lord of lords. But instead, he chose to be a mass murderer. Oh, but let me mention one other. There was another opportunity that's recorded in Luke's gospel. Uh, I asked Randy to stop at verse 7, and there was a reason why. Did you notice the words in that last verse that he read where it says there was no room for him? Talking about Jesus, there was no room. Right? It was Mary's time. She was pregnant. She was in labor. She's in Bethlehem. And it says they were no, there was no room for him. I think that is a statement that is packed plumb full. Maybe I'll preach on that another time. But let me just briefly mention this. The residents of Bethlehem 
have the opportunity to welcome and shelter the creator of the universe. And they could have done it in the finest room that they had to offer. But instead they blew it. And they sent Joseph and Mary to the lowest of all possible accommodations that could have been found in Bethlehem. God gave these select residents an opportunity to be famous, but instead they chose infamy. They had the opportunity to be a star, but they chose instead to be a Grinch. Can I tell you something about opportunities? I mentioned this a minute ago, but let me make it as plain as I know how. They are blessings. They are blessings, and you never know when they are going to knock on your door. There was a few knocks just in what I recounted, and that was opportunity knocking at the door. Many times, it'll be when you least expect it. I mean, a lot of people miss out on life's greatest blessings because they aren't listening. They aren't tuned in. They aren't paying attention. They have their eyes closed. They're too busy with other things. Or maybe they've just decided not to obey God missing the opportunity he's trying to give them. I, I think that we could probably sum up the opportunity for salvation by so many with what I've just said. God gives every man and woman and child, every person, the opportunity for salvation. And there'll, come a, there'll come a point when he's knocking on our heart's door. And there's an opportunity to receive the greatest blessing. The same blessing that the, that the residents of Bethlehem, right, had the opportunity to receive. We have that, that same opportunity comes our way. God is giving us the opportunity. Think about this for just a minute. You realize, right, if you're perfect, i got to know it. Raise your hand. I need to know if you are perfect. Never nothing. Okay, not in this church. It's a different one that they're in than today. <laughs> Ain't none of us perfect. Ain't none of us even close to perfect. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have done things that we hadn't ought to do. All of us, even after we know better, right, still uh, have done things that we hadn't ought to do. Every one of us are in need or is in need of forgiveness. Every single last one of us, without exception. Do you know what that means? You know, because we think about, well, whenever I sin, right? Sometimes we think about, well, we've done somebody else wrong. And we might feel guilty, and, and we might try to make amends somehow at some point in our life, and we might not. But most of the time, right, we believe the lie of the devil. And we say that our sins hurt nobody but myself. 
I'm going to be frank and my wife is going to get on to me when we get in the car and leave here or the pickup and leave here for saying this but I'm going to say it anyways if you believe that you are a fool period she tells me I shouldn't do that and she's probably right but I do it anyways maybe I'm the fool <laughs> seriously though that is the lie the devil has told us to deceive us. And we believe it. And we repeat it. And our world and our society and our culture today really repeats it, right? That we just make our own decisions, we choose to do our own thing, and we just do whatever we think makes us the happiest and what's best for us. And if in, in some of these decisions that we, that we make, even though we know that they're bad, we're not hurting anybody but ourselves, and that's our choice. Wrong. Wrong, wrong, wrong. First of all, and this ought to have some impact on you, the choices that you make affect more than just you, period. I don't care what it is. It affects those around you and those that care the most about you. End of sentence. But the Bible makes it clear when we sin, we sin against God. We sin against our Creator and our Maker, the one who we are made in His image. And listen to me for just a minute. Every one of us has a sin debt. We're all guilty of sin. What I mean by sin debt is we're all guilty of sin. God is a just and fair God, and there is coming judgment, and every single one of us will stand before the judge of the universe who knows everything. We will stand before him without excuse, says we'll have to give an account for every idle word or deed that we do, but the problem is that, that we won't be able to because there will be no excuses. We will stand before him, some of us for the very first time, speechless. And nobody is getting a pass. Every one of us is guilty. You might justify your sins now, but you won't before God. You see, do you understand what that means? That means you've got a punishment coming and I've got a punishment coming. And there ain't nothing you or I can do to atone for that. There's your big $10, well, the way inflation is $100 Bible word. means there ain't nothing you and I can do to make up for that. Here's another lie that the devil tells that so many believe is that you can balance the scales. Yes, you've done bad things, but if you do enough good things, it'll balance the scale and God will weigh you on the day of judgment and say, okay, you balance the scales or you've tipped the scales in your favor. Enter on in, good old boy. No, no you'll be weighed, all right but every one of us will be found wanting. Every one of us will come up way short. You think your good works will do anything or get you anywhere? God makes it clear that our righteousness, that's our good works, is nothing but filthy rags to Him. Our good works are always done with the wrong intention. I'm not going to go into all of that today. That's not my point. My point is, is when God comes along, remember me talking about that 
knock on our heart's door? That's the opportunity. That's the opportunity of a lifetime that may never pass your way again. That's the same opportunity. Oh, blind Bartimaeus, you remember he's sitting there on the road begging between just outside of Jericho, actually is where it was, right? When Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, right? And, and blind Bartimaeus knew this is his day. And blind Bartimaeus, whenever he hears Jesus coming, you ever thought about what it is that might be going through his mind or what he knew? I don't know. But he had to have heard some things. He had to have known some things, right? Because he begins to cry out, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. That's a title for Jesus, for the Messiah, for the Christ, for the long-awaited one, for the Savior of the world, the one whose birth we're getting ready to celebrate. And Jesus' disciples, meaning well, they were well-meaning. They knew that Jesus was carrying a heavy burden. They didn't understand what was getting ready to happen, but they knew that he was carrying this heavy burden. They knew that he, the last thing he needed was saddled with one more person's problem. And they try to hush old blind Bartimaeus. They just hush him. I, I can see it in my mind's eye. They're, they're, you know, I can see them tossing him a few dollars and saying, here you go, or a few pence, whatever they call their currency then, and say, here you go, blind Bartimaeus. You'll eat good tonight. Leave the master alone. He's carrying a heavy burden today. But blind Bartimaeus didn't care nothing about any of that. Blind Bartimaeus was after something much greater. Blind Bartimaeus knew that today was his day. And so the more they tried to hush him, the more that he cried out, Thou son of David. And louder and louder he'd cry out, Thou son of David. Because he somehow, in, in, in him, he knew this was his day, his opportunity. We know from reading the word that this is the last time Jesus is going to pass that way. The knock is happening on Bartimaeus' heart, on the door to his heart that day. And he received exactly what he was looking for. Right? He is made whole. He is healed. Right? It is a picture of salvation is what it is. Right there in that moment because of his persistence. And that's another good sermon right there that I'm not preaching this morning. But listen to me. When the Holy Spirit comes along and he's knocking at your heart's door, it's the same opportunity. It's the same opportunity that Herod had. It's the same opportunity that the religious scholars who knew better had. It's the same opportunity that the resident, <coughs> excuse me, the resident of Bethlehem <coughs> had that day. It's the same opportunity that you have when the Holy Spirit draws you, knocking on your heart's door, pricking your heart, and drawing you, giving you the opportunity to accept Christ. And when you accept Him, you're not just saying, oh, okay, I, I believe in Jesus. I mean, yeah, you are, but you're placing your faith in Him. Your faith in what He has already done for you. That sin debt that you could never pay, that perfect person I was looking for a minute or a while ago, that only exists in Jesus. He is the only one who is perfect. He is the only one to have ever lived a perfect life. He is the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. He is the one, right, that was our sin offering. He is the one that paid our debt, our sin debt on Calvary's cross. That's why the Bible talks about that we are washed clean with his blood. 
And so you have the opportunity. The opportunity to accept what has already been done on your behalf and receive the greatest gift that has ever been given. Salvation. Reconciled to God. Sins atoned for. You say it this way, a ticket to heaven. Right? Uh, we think of a ticket to heaven, you know, sometimes we might think of that as, oh, okay, we'll finally get to take it easy. we finally get to rest. finally get to lay back. It's all about me. No, heaven is not all about you, and it's not all about me. And if you think those things, you're missing the point. Heaven is all about being in the presence of Jesus for all of eternity. That's what makes heaven, heaven. It's not streets of gold or, or, or crystal rivers or, or, or a mansion or the tree of life or eternal, you know, living forever. No more death and no more uh, sickness, no more sin, no more disease, no more decay, right? All those things are part of heaven and they're fantastic, but that's not what heaven is. Heaven is literally being in the presence of God for all of eternity. So can I tell you just something about opportunities real quick and I'm closing? Opportunities are precious. You never know when it's going to be your last one. You never know when it's going to be your only one. Matter of fact, some opportunities, a lot of opportunities, only come by once. And I, let me tell you something else about opportunities. There is no two that are exactly alike. Never. Never. They're like sunsets. They don't stay long, and they're never the same twice. Something else about opportunities. They're quick. They come upon you fast. This is what I mean by quick. They come upon you fast, and they pass you by fast. Think about it like trying to catch a train as it's speeding by. You've got to be ready to jump on that thing. You're going to miss the train if you ain't ready to jump on it. So you've got to be ready. When them opportunities come by, you have, that's what, they're immediately obedient. First real, real sermon. I tried to preach a couple sermons before, but the first real one I ever preached was entitled Immediate Obedience. When that opportunity comes by, just like it did with Joseph, just like it did with the wise men, just like it did with Mary, just like it did with uh, the shepherds, you've got to be ready to jump on it. You, matter of fact, you need to get ready, right? You ever seen them old West movies where they're go, or, or the um, uh, hobo movies where they jump a boxcar and ride it, right? They're ready before the train ever gets there. They're all ready, right? And the, and the Westerns on the horses, they got their horses out there and got them running out before the train ever even catches them. You've got to be ready to jump on it before it even gets to you. What I'm saying is you've already got to have your mind made up that you're going to obey God and you're going to do what God wants you to do without question immediately. Otherwise, you'll never catch one. And one last thing, opportunities are lost. The Bible is filled with examples of lost opportunities. Do you know what that means? Do you know if the Holy Spirit is knocking on your heart's door today and you're not saved, but he is, he's convicting you and he's drawing you and you don't jump on that train, you don't take advantage of that opportunity, and then when you leave here, and we know better today than what we did last week, how real this possibility is. Something happens to you on the road. You just missed your opportunity.
your last opportunity, and it might have been your only opportunity. The Bible is filled with examples of lost opportunities. From Cain in the book of Genesis to Samson in the book of Judges. From Israel as they're gathered there at Kadesh Barnea to the time when the prophet Elijah gathers them all together on Mount Carmel. Actually, from the time salvation was offered to the rich young ruler to the time when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on that donkey on Palm Sunday. Each one of those incidents and many, many more is an opportunity that is offered. But in the end, all of those were lost opportunities. So, I think the Christmas story can be summed up when we're talking about everyone else involved in the Christmas story, their actions. It can be summed up in one word, and that word is obedience. It's filled with people who were given opportunities. Some of them chose to obey God and seize the opportunity that was given them, and others chose not to obey God and let their opportunity pass right on by. So my plea to you this Christmas season, I love this time of year. I didn't used to. I did not used to like it at all. But after I begin to serve the Lord and begin to understand and begin to discover what Christmas is really about, and the reason, too, for so many of the things that we do, really begin to open my eyes, really begin to change my mind. And, and I've come to love this time of year. And so I, I want my plea to you this Christmas season is that you don't miss your opportunity. You be ready to jump on them because you don't want to miss out on what God is doing. Remember what I said, a missed opportunity or an opportunity missed is a blessing missed. Don't miss your opportunity to be a part of what God is trying to do in you, through you, in your life, and in the lives of those around you. I'm begging you, don't miss your blessing. Don't miss your opportunity, whether that's to be a blessing to someone else, whether that's salvation in your own life, whatever it is. I'm begging you, don't miss it. Will you stand to your feet? I want to open the altar, and I want to give you an opportunity to come this morning. If you've got a need, if you've got a heavy burden, I'm asking you, you come right on this morning. That's something you need to pray about, then we've got, we, we've got a big altar here with plenty of room. You just come right on. Don't you worry. Don't you stand back there and think, well, what's other people going to think? It don't matter what other people think. If you've got a need, if you've got a burden, you just come right on. Whatever it may be, you just come right on.